G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Can I begin with a question um, for us um, about your own aspirations actually in life and uh, where you kind of hope that you're headed or where you um, feel you might be looking uh, toward? Maybe it's a bit of a, um, a lofty place to start early on a Sunday morning. What are your aspirations uh, in life? But nevertheless, here it is. Here's my question. If you achieve nothing else with your life, if you get to do nothing else, what would you absolutely want to make sure that you get around to doing, uh, that you get around to seeing experiences perhaps that you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't want to leave this world without enjoying? People, perhaps heroes who you just, you want to make sure that you meet in this life. Um, some of us have bucket lists. Uh, like actual lists on actual sheets of paper or in our actual sort of smartphones or whatever. Um, actual lists, as long as your arm, and every now and again we get to tick one of them off, one of those wonderful things that's on that list that was a life aspiration for us. I don't know, it could be swim with the dolphins or something like that. Um, it might be um, learn to speak French and you've wanted to for years or relearn the piano that you were made to learn as a child and then you really want to come back to it. Uh, or it might be, um, you know, it could be see the world. It might be um, get married and have kids. It might be kite surfing or bungee jumping or um, build a house of your own. It might be live on an island. It might be get off this island. It might be buy your own island. Um, it might be buy a boat. Uh, it might be uh, 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 build a shed to put the boat in. It might be then get rid of the boat so you've got some space back in your shed. I don't know what it could be. If you achieve nothing else, what must you get around to doing in this life? In other words, what dreams live on your bucket list for you. Now, here's why I ask. It's because I'm not convinced that even having a bucket list sits comfortably with the life that we are called to in view of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ there in 1 Corinthians 15, our passage for today. Um, Now, there's a wild thought, isn't it? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter um, 15 Um, verse 19, for example. So, chapter 15, we are now in probably the chapter um, summarising the heart of the Gospel. We saw some of that last week, the resurrection of Jesus. Paul wants the Christians there in Corinth, that um, ancient Greek city, to know for sure the heart of their faith, to know for sure uh, the source of their hope, the truth that will build them spiritually strong as a church together in the Lord. But have a look then at the lifestyle that Paul expects to flow from that uh, word, that truth, that core to their faith. Verse 19, for example, we see it there where he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ. In other words, if we're wrong about the resurrection, that turns out to be completely false. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Could anyone say that of your Christian life? Um, He lives, she so lives in light of the resurrection that, gosh, I hope it's right, because she's wasting her life otherwise. Um, We'll take verse 30, Paul's own example there in verse 30, where he says, and as for us, 
Why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers. And then verse 32, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, I think it's a metaphor, um, for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. It's funny, isn't it? Paul expects that the resurrection will force a stark contrast in this life between those who believe it and those who don't. Your lives will look different. Now, that probably shouldn't surprise us, actually, when you think back to the teaching of Jesus. He seemed to be of a very similar mind. Uh, say, Luke 9, verse 23, very memorably, where he says, uh, then Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, what did, what did he say? He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world? Now, there's your bucket list. And yet lose or forfeit his very self. So, uh, brothers and sisters of Good News Christian Church, how are we going with this measure of our Christian life? If you would come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, what did it say? Not monthly, not occasionally, not kind of when you get around, daily and follow me. Uh, Pitied more than all men if the resurrection turns out to be false. I die every day. I mean that, brothers, says Paul. Now, how's your bucket list looking? (laughs) Uh, Perhaps your bucket list is in the what I'd call the accumulation phase. You know, you're still accumulating things on the list, still adding to all those things that you love to get around to doing one day. Um, perhaps it's, perhaps the, perhaps what it's accumulating isn't more things, it's, it's fear is what's accumulating around your bucket list. Fear that you never, you haven't got what it takes now to actually tick many more of those things off. Fear that You haven't got enough years left, you haven't got enough money, you haven't got the right connections, you haven't got good enough health, you haven't got enough luck to... Some people have all the luck, don't they? Perhaps the only thing that your bucket list is gathering at the present time uh, is dust on the shelf. You don't fear that you might not get it done, you know that you won't get it done. And there were so many things, so many things that you, you hoped to do and you got to do some of them but the rest are never going to happen. Now, folks, today, see, 1 Corinthians 15, it confronts us with a challenge, and here it is, burn your bucket list. That's the challenge it confronts us with. And uh, in view of the resurrection of Jesus, you don't just actually have a challenge from 1 Corinthians to burn that bucket list. The shoe's on the other foot entirely. You have permission. You have the freedom. You, You find, you discover, I think, the ease and calm and confidence and contentment in view of Christ's resurrection to let that bucket list go. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 holds out to us something far better than just a bucket list of earthly aspirations. Let's take a look at it, but first let's quickly pray together, please. Our Father God in heaven, we ask, please, may the reality of the resurrection of Jesus exert a shaping influence on our lives, even today, please. As Christians, oh God, and by the power of your Spirit, we've come to believe that the resurrection of Jesus really happened. 
It's a fact of history. It is a cornerstone to our entire faith. And so, Father, would you please help us this morning to tease out the implications of Christ's life, not just his life back then, but his life today, the risen Lord Jesus now, to tease out the implications of his life into our lives today, now, as long as you give us breath. Father, we do ask for your guidance. We know that with the decisions that we make in life, we stand before your scrutiny, but we also know that we stand in your loving fatherly presence, receiving instruction and care and provision. So God, teach us please to live in the victory of Christ over death today. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Uh, it might be helpful for you to have uh, the passage open in front of you, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, last week, of course, we covered the first 11 verses, and I know they were read out to us again this morning um, to give us that context again. We covered the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 15, what Paul called the, um, the matters of first importance. It's the gospel, isn't it? Um, pure and simple. Verse 3, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12 and to all of those others, the verses go on, and even to Paul himself down in verse 11, the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, really rose from the dead. Uh, That was last week's passage. That is the first importance for your Christian faith. Don't forget it, you Corinthians. Um, So, we might be wondering then, as modern readers, as we come to what flows the rest of the chapter from verse 12 and following, we might be wondering then, okay, well, what kind of Christians then, from verse 12, were these Corinthians if the resurrection itself was somehow in doubt for them? Uh, Not just that they doubt it, you know, in the ordinary way, that we all sometimes sort of wonder what's going on, you know, can we really believe you, all that. No, but it seems to be more substantially in doubt for them from verse 12. And that sure seems what's happening there in Corinth. Um, So, uh, was it not fundamental, the resurrection of Jesus, was that not fundamental to their Christian faith? Back then, let's take a look together from verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Right? And you can't fault Paul's logic there, can you? It's very straightforward. No one can be raised from the dead. That's impossible, you might say. Uh, Well, that means the gospel can't happen. Do you realise that? If no one can be raised from the dead, the gospel can't happen. Verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And then Paul just follows that awful hypothetical for a moment. He says, and that means that we're a pack of liars about God, because that's what we're telling everyone, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. It would mean that you're wasting your life with this whole faith business. Um, Actually, it would mean, get this, that your sins aren't even forgiven if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Uh, did you follow him there? Because doesn't Christ's resurrection illustrate beyond the shadow of a doubt that Christ's sacrifice for our sins, his death in our place, his death for our sin, uh, totally levelled things with God. His death was effective in dealing with sin 
But if there's no resurrection, how do I know that? Um, One person put it um, very memorably when he said, resurrection, resurrection means endless hope. But no resurrection means a hopeless end. Resurrection means endless hope, but no resurrection means a hopeless end. And I think that's absolutely consistent with what Paul's saying here, isn't he? In terms of the significance of the resurrection for our Christian faith. And please take note, if you're someone here this morning who's currently, I suppose, looking into the faith or weighing up whether or not to become a Christian, you need to know this. The resurrection is absolutely foundational to our Christian faith as this passage describes. Verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, then those who've fallen asleep in Christ are lost. What an awful thought. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Now, may I just clarify one important thing? Denying the resurrection wasn't necessarily the same as denying an afterlife. Um, The the Corinthians were maybe a little bit different to us in this respect, you see. In our world, when someone denies the resurrection, I think it's ordinary for us to assume, uh, don't we assume, that they're saying, well, when you're dead, you're dead, right? There's no resurrection, when you're dead, you're dead, and that's that. In our culture, I think that's usually what people, what, is, what stands behind someone denying the resurrection. We live in a culture today that believes in the natural world and that's it. Don't talk to me about the spiritual world or spiritual things or angels or God or any of that stuff. When you're dead, you're dead and that's it. But have a listen to James Garland's words here. Here's some helpful background, which I think is very consistent with what we find here in 1 Corinthians and it helps to reveal maybe what the issue was in Corinth. Uh, He says this, he says, the Corinthians believed in an afterlife but retained what he calls the dualistic, in two parts, the dualistic anthropology of their Hellenistic environment. Oh, my word. The dualistic anthropology, so a two-part way of thinking about humans of their Greek, their Hellenistic environment. He says, according to this view, humans are composed of two parts, two inharmonious parts, body and soul. At death, the mortal body is shed like a snake skin. And the immortal soul continues in a purely spiritual existence. Do you see the way the Corinthians thought about death? The shedding of this snake skin of the mortal body, leaving behind the soul in its purely spiritual um, existence. So denying the resurrection wasn't necessarily the same as denying an afterlife exactly for them. So do you you now catch the, the sense of what Paul's saying to these Corinthians? What particularly he's picking up on them uh, for, he's saying, look, your culturally imbibed beliefs clash 
with the plain facts of the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Corinthians, real living ain't the purely spiritual bliss of your soul continuing on having shed that nuisance body. That's not real life. That's not the real life that God has in store for us. That's not the real living that God has shown us, that we that has appeared to us, that we have seen Peter and James and the apostles and the 500 and I myself. Do you see? Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, see, he's going back to Adam and Eve in the garden with the fruit and the snake and all the rest. When they sin, death came upon every human life thereafter. Where then can we hope for life for these human bodies that die under the judgment of God, the curse of God? Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, as in Christ is the firstfruits, Christ the firstfruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. Now let's just pause here for a moment and think about our bucket lists. Because on this point alone, I think our worldly aspirations, the things that we hope for, long to get done with the breaths that we have remaining, the things that you aspire to experience in life in the days that remain for you. I wonder, do our bucket lists reflect this much the, uh, the when he comes, those who belong to him will be resurrected? Uh, that will be made alive again, that we have many, many, many more days to go. Do our bucket list, you see, at the very least, our belief in the resurrection, what should it do to our bucket list? It ought to take something of the urgency, shouldn't it? Something of the desperation um, out of them, the fear that I'll, I'll never get it done, the regret that I've never got it done. Paul is actually, he's making an even bigger point, a far grander, far more wonderful point in these verses actually. Um, Please keep reading with me because it's not just um, don't fear, you'll have a second chance, what you don't get done, um, uh, this side of your earthly death, this side of falling asleep in Christ, you'll get a bit longer, in fact you'll get eternity. No, he's actually making an even bigger point than that. Um, Get this, verse 24 uh, and, and following, it's saying that Jesus is in the business of systematically destroying um, anything and everything that makes bodily existence a drag, that makes this world spoiled, every enemy to his physical world, every impediment to a full and fruitful life forever with him, he is taking them apart. Verse 24, have a look with me please. Uh, So end of verse 23, Christ, he's the first fruits and then when he comes back, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed 
is death. So you answer me this for a moment. Why will Jesus raise Christians from the dead? According to those verses. Why will Jesus raise you, Christian, from the dead? Let me put it like this. You will rise because death is his enemy. Because death is an obstacle, it is a hindrance to the very plans of God for the people that he loves in them living the life that he has in store for us. Will God let death win? No, he won't. And so you, Christian, will rise from the dead. Do you see? It's a different spin on it. It's not just I get to rise from the dead, I get to live forever. It's that Jesus is in this project of actually destroying everything that stands against his good purposes. And it is entirely, it is so much for our benefit, not just me and my body, but the whole world being made new. It's great in terms of our life, but this is saying it's also great in terms of our world. So my bucket list, right? My bucket list in this world today, in this tainted, um, sinful, still beautiful, but profoundly broken world, my biggest dreams are caught up, that means, in experiencing a world that is but a shadow of what he will one day make it to be. And that's at best. You know, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. It's saying that you and I cannot dream big enough dreams worthy of the bucket list that we'll be able to have then. So am I seriously going to pin my, my very life's hopes? You know, my striving and my savings, and and what I see as the sunshine of my life on experiences this side of Christ's resurrection, oh, sorry, of of my resurrection in Christ. Um, The Corinthians um, had one very specific objection to the future self, Uh, so let's move on to there. They had one very specific objection to that future self and that hope, though um, it's it's about these bodies, you see, your body, my body. Um, see, resurrection sounds all well and good, but do I really want to be stuck in this body forever? Forever. If you could take your body with you into eternity, no, if you had to take your body with you into eternity, would you really want to? Can't we shed these bodies like a snake sheds its skin, please? (laughs) Verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish, says Paul. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Skip down with me to verse 50 where he says, I declare to you brothers that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, 
in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality then the saying that is written will come true death has been swallowed up in victory where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? And folks, I think we have to talk frankly about our present experience in light of these verses. Does death still have a sting in your life? I have to go to a funeral on Thursday. Does death still have a sting? Does it yet feel as though death has lost its sting? Does it yet feel to you as though death's victory today is but a pale thing, a thin, hollow, temporary, fleeting thing? Can you say triumphantly, oh, death, where is your victory? As God promised his people all those years ago. I think for every Christian here, the answer must be no. And yes. Um, yes, because I can see Jesus. Yes, I can see his empty tomb. I, we, haven't we seen his hands and his feet and the wounds there and he's alive? But no, in that not only is this world not the world that I wish it was, these bodies are not the bodies that we would wish upon anyone if they had to have them for eternity. Why? Because we've watched too many of these bodies die, fall asleep. And Paul is saying to us in these verses, yep, that is absolutely right. Die these bodies have, and die these bodies will continue to do like a seed, like a seed. The body that is sown is perishable. What does it say? It is sown in dishonour, it is sown in weakness, Verse 44, it is sown a natural body, but what's the other side? It is raised imperishable. It is raised in glory. It is raised in power. It is raised a spiritual body. So I'm, I don't know about you, I'm starting to see just why it is that Paul focuses on the resurrection as of first importance to us as Christians. Do you see? It's not, it's not just this thin version of, oh, I'll get to live forever. Do you see how the, the resurrection transforms our hopes for ourselves and what our experience is and what our world will be, what our lives will be together? It's like we heard last week, God will defeat the last enemy. Do you remember this? While graveyards may remind one of the brevity of life, the resurrection ensures the brevity of death while graveyards may remind one of the brevity of life, the resurrection ensures the brevity of death. Is the resurrection not the centre of our faith and our hope and our life? Verse 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so let me ask you, kind of bluntly, I guess, has the brevity of death really taken a hold of your life 
in the resurrection of Jesus? Has the brevity of death, is that reflected in your life now in the Lord Jesus? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Is that the compass by which you live your life? Your aspirations, what you hope to get done, what you hope to see and experience? Is it the lens through which you've begun to see the lives of the people around you and what they're doing with their lives, what they're pursuing, the people that you spend your week with, share your homes with? Verse 58, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Let's move toward a conclusion. Um, So what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to a life that means life for you and life for our dying world, what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead mean for your bucket list? today, whether or not you have an actual one, you know what I mean, your aspirations, the things that you um, hope and aspire to do and experience and get done in life. Have you been led to believe that the measure of your life is the number of things that you get ticked off that bucket list in the time that remains for you? Because, friends, if you have believed that, then you have been led to believe a lie. A lie that is incompatible with our Christian hope, the the confidence that we have in the resurrection of Jesus, what it means for us personally, what it means for the glorious world that we will one day get to share with Him. Do you see? A life lived only for this life, within the horizon of only this life, is a life lived for less than life itself. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me, said Jesus, will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? So finally, can I ask you this? What message do you have for a friend who lives their life today like this is the only life that there is? that this is the best that they can hope for and so they've got to make the very best of the opportunities that they have remaining for them in the days ahead. What message do you have for them? I think we have a message and I think it's this, verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Uh, Don Carson asks the question, what would you like to be doing when Jesus comes again? What would you like to be saying when Jesus comes again? What would you like to be thinking when Jesus comes again? And he says, each of us can readily think of what we would not like to be doing or saying or thinking when Jesus comes again. When I was a boy in Sunday school, he reflects, we sang the chorus, doing good deeds, sowing good seed leaving life's follies behind me, doing my best, standing each test. That's how I want the Lord to find me. How about we pray? Our Father in heaven, um, would you please give us a, a full and a true and a confident and clear sense of our hope together, 
grounded in the resurrection of Jesus. Father, please teach us to come back again and again to the resurrection of Christ, to its reality, to its, that it actually happened, the, the firmness of that for us. We confess that we struggle to imagine, Father, a, a, a glory, a glorious future that's quite unlike our present existence. We struggle to wrap our heads and our imaginations around it. We struggle to imagine a world where every enemy to your goodness has been vanquished. But God, we know that, gosh, it sounds good and it will be good. And so, Lord, fill us, please, with a patient and a steadfast faith that stands on your promises to us. And so may we lead a life, therefore, that's different. Father, would you please sweep more and more of our loved ones into the the saving orbit of Christ, into the life of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.